Hello everyone, this is Dr. Aaron Stair from bloomingwellness.com and this is another episode of Causes or Cures. I hope you guys are doing okay. Um, thanks for tuning in to listen. Today I'm talking to a woman in Australia. Her name is J.L. Keys, um, and she's doing a lot of cool things and she has a really inspiring personal story. Um, she helps people. She has this great website with a, a lot of helpful stuff. And she really focuses on people with eating disorders, um, anorexia. She herself struggled with anorexia and she recovered. And she's going to talk about that. Um, and I love recovery stories about eating disorders because I had an eating disorder, bulimia. And man, let me tell you, I know how hard it is to recover. Um, so I'm inspired by her story and I'm inspired by the work that she's doing. Um, in this podcast, she's going to get personal. She's going to talk about a history of family, sexual abuse, suicide, her thoughts of suicide, depersonalization. Um, of course her struggle with anorexia, which started at age 15. Um, and then she's going to talk about, uh, what helped her heal. And it's a great story. And she also now, eventually, when she recovered, she herself became a counselor and she um, practices something called reality therapy, which I think is really cool. And um, she's going to talk about that in the podcast. And I hope that information in here helps you guys. If you're out there struggling, um, maybe this conversation will help you just by listening to it. Uh, and if you want more help, you can go to her website because I found it great. And I think there's a ton of stuff on there that anyone all over the world, thank you online and the internet, can um, find help that way. Um, and and before I put JL on the line, well, I recorded, recorded this conversation a few weeks ago now. Um, I just ha I want to thank her because rarely my guests ask me personal questions um, or engage me in a conversation. And she did, and I thought it was awesome. And so I found myself talking about my struggle with bulimia um, and trauma in my life and relationships and love, right? Like how we love when we're not in the right frame of mind, when we're not our true selves versus our true selves. So I found it a, re a really helpful conversation just for me. Um, and so I hope it helps you guys. So let's put JL on the line and hear what she has to say. Thanks, guys. JL Keys, guys. We have JL on the line from Australia, right? And That's she figured Adelaide. out the time. <laughs> you figured out the time difference um, much faster than I I did. So I really appreciate that. Um, anyways, thanks so much for uh, coming on the podcast. And you have a really interesting story. Um, so and I and I like to feature people with uh, compelling personal stories who who are who are doing things in their professional life um, related to their struggle. So I I just um, I want to thank you for for coming on and maybe if if we're if you won't don't mind starting I guess let's maybe talking about you know your own struggle um, and then um, your you know. Or, and then we can go from there in terms of where, how did, how you got there. Um, yes, I guess so. 
First of all, I'd like to thank you, Erin, for having me on your podcast today. I've really been looking forward to sharing with you and um, hopefully inspiring some people who will listen to both your and my comments as we're discussing this issue this morning. So thank you very much for the opportunity. Um, what I am doing is I've set up an online business for primarily for eating disorder clients um, with a background of anorexia nervosa from the age of 15 to 24. This is my beginning point with, um, I guess, my real passion is creating awareness within the community that how we actually relate to each other does have an impact and to really begin to take that seriously. And I look back to my childhood and you don't realise until you experience an illness like I did with anorexia nervosa and then following on from that suicidal depression, ED, anxiety, migraines and all of those awful things that my life turned into. And then when you finally find somebody to help you um, heal and understand why that's become your existence, um, it's then that you look back and go, you know what, those childhood days were really influential and had a huge impact on how I grew and how I developed and how I saw the world. So my main, <clears throat> pardon me, it's early here in Adelaide, um, my main um, message, I think, guess that I would really like to get out there is for people to begin to look at, you know, how we influence and how we impact and affect each other by the way that we treat each other, basically. We, um, I guess to outline and answer your initial question uh, to give a bit more um, depth to that is that I was a little girl who was born onto a farm originally and then um, my father decided to join the um, what was known as the Methodist Church um, back in my day and uh, changed over to the Uniting Church. And so I had a very strong religious um, overbearing upbringing, but also coupled together with, um, well, an upbringing that was greatly controlled also by my father. And then I had sexual abuse thrown in there as well. So all of this impacted my view of the world, how I perceived the world, how I saw uh, the world work around me. And I adopted thoughts and belief patterns and systems that reflected that. So when I got to the age of 15, having been bullied at um, all the different schools that I went to, because I shifted every three years once my father was um, accepted into the ministry, um, all of those things came together and it's not surprising then at the age of 15 that an eating disorder turned up on my doorstep and um, back in my day no one knew about eating disorders. I just lost all this weight. I was no longer the top athlete. I was no longer the uh, performer that I was because I simply didn't have the energy to commit or to do any of those activities. So um yeah, and then, as I said, I went into anorexia nervosa for the next nine years and then um, into a series of other related illnesses. And it wasn't until I was in my mid-30s that I met someone who gave me understanding and, um, to what was happening and what had happened to me. And I guess that's reflected in the work that I now do and particularly in the online programs that I've created for eating disorder clients. So that was a long answer to your initial question. <laughs> No, it was. <laughs> I didn't know when. Um, I know. No, it's fine. Um, 
I, it, I, it's good. It's good. It's, it's, I think it, I, I like to make the podcast very organic and just kind of go with the flow. So, um, so I wanted to ask you, I had an eating disorder too, um, bulimia. So, yes. um, although I bounced back and forth a little bit between bulimia and anorexia, um, also started when I was in high school, um, and continued on. I went to a military academy and somehow survived with a really bad eating disorder. I don't know how. Um, but I I can, I felt like, um, you know, there was times when I was trying to hide my disorder and just cope with it. Um, and it, it became a coping mechanism, the binging and purging. But I also found like, you know, sometimes very hopeless. I would go to help. I would almost pretend during therapy sessions that they were helping me, you know, you know, almost, almost like a, another conditioned response, even though they weren't, they were trying their best, but they weren't really connecting. Um, and that, that fuel, that to me fueled like sort of this downward spiral, which I did. I went really like during medical school, I basically had a breakdown and I was wondering if that, you know, you, you didn't find what helped you till your thirties, your mid thirties, um, which was a long time. And I'm wondering, um, if you maybe experienced something similar in terms of trying to get help and, and, and being frustrated and not finding anything that really helps you. Oh, absolutely. As I said, back in my day, cause I'm quite a bit older. Um, when I was given paperwork that said eating disorder, anorexia nervosa, that was about the extent of it, but nobody really understood and back in my day, it was, well, put weight on and everything will be okay, as though restoring your weight would magically make your brain work properly again and all of those things come together. And I guess I reference it like that now because of the knowledge I now have. So back then, I did end up in hospital. I did end up with psychiatrists and different ones. And then because my health was just failing and failing, even though I did manage to restore some of the weight, I'd gone into a process of depersonalization where I didn't feel like I was on the planet. So I was uh, constantly, I didn't have a break from it um, for many, many years of just feeling though I just wasn't present. And I was always getting uh, migraines and I was just so tired and so worn out. And I would panic about everything. And when I became pregnant with my son, my first child, that was when I um, developed OCD. And I went from being the normal that I was at that time to all of a sudden panicking about every little detail of this child and this child's life and the nursery and what I had to set up. And I couldn't relax and sleep. If someone said I needed three dozen nappies, I'd have to buy them and wash them and fold them and put them away. I couldn't sleep until that was done. It just was absolutely out of hand. But everywhere I went for help back at that point, um, it was just about weight restoration or it was about putting an antidepressant in because somewhere my brain had gone wrong, somewhere my physical body had been damaged, but no one could tell me how or why or when or anything. So I just sort of kept existing. I then three years later had my daughter and I was even sicker and hospitalised and it was a total frustration, but at the same time, feeling like I was responsible for what was happening and um, I needed to, you know, do something about it because it was all my fault. And this was all my belief system coming in and impacting um, 
you know, how I saw life and how I was responding to it at the time. So, as I said, it wasn't until I was 36, 37, my marriage unfortunately came to a close and I was now a single mum with my two children. And it was because of the children that I ended up with this lady. She was recommended to me because I wanted to ensure that these children went through this um, process of divorce and change as dreamlessly as they could, or seamlessly, I mean. Don't put a T and an R in that. Um, and I ended up with a lady called um, Joan Hookstad who practised reality therapy underpinned by choice theory. And I went there to talk about my two children, Brad and Kimberly. And um, after the first session, she said, I'd really like to help you with your children, but you sound like you've got a handle on it. I'd like to talk about you. And I just balked. I went, oh, I don't think I can talk about me anymore. I'm sick. I accept it. I live in fear every day. I'm anxious. I'm uptight. Isn't that just how life is? And I just have to suck it up. And um, But something in me said, no, take this lady on board and go back and listen to what she's got to say. So that's what I chose to do. And it was the best decision I ever made. So what she then got to do, got me to do, which no one else had ever done, was to begin to go back and look at my story, look at my life, look at different timelines in my story that had been particularly um, stressful or damaging or hurtful and um, look at the relationships that I had as well when she, you know, microscoped the relationships I had with my parents and with extended family members and um, different people along the way and gradually we pieced together a story that was laced with a lot of control a lot of fear as a result of that control and having to measure up to different standards. But also somewhere along the line in that process came out and unearthed in me the childhood trauma that I'd had tucked away, which was uh, sexual abuse within the family and um, outside of the family as well. So when that all came to pass, uh, we had a lot of material to work with and I could then make the important connections to how all of those early childhood traumas and all the learning and the belief system that I gained uh, from what the messages that were given to me then, then impacted how I responded to this thing called life and how I began to live it. And my body then, you know, screamed out at the age of 15 and through my 20s and early 30s saying, you know, Jenny Lee, stop. You know, I'm wanting you to heal from this and um, your body's giving you messages. You're just not listening. But as I keep saying back in my day, we didn't need we didn't have the um, knowledge that we do today that your body's actually, you know, an important place to start with any illness. You know, what is it trying to share with you? What's it trying to tell you? Um, and it's doing that through this thing we call illness or disease. So. Once I had that sort of knowledge and that sort of understanding, I could then begin to unpack, unlock and heal my life. So, yeah, that's sort of in a nutshell, really, even though that was long. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, I just uh, I can't imagine that. I, I mean, I you know, the, the just the, uh, the history of, of sexual abuse, like it's just it's awful. I mean, it's awful to hear about. Um and I can't imagine how traumatizing it could be. And, and you know, and, and you know, just kind of like realizing how much trauma that can cause you or that did cause you and other people out there, you know, just may, may not even be aware of, of how much um, 
trauma that that's causing them or how it's fueling other things. Um, it's just awful to hear. It's yeah. And yeah, and it's the messages that you get. So in my in the instance when that was happening to me, you know, the words that went with it and because the people are adults, you know, and you're a child and you're learning and you're putting your trust in these people, you just assume that they're telling you and showing you how this world works and you're not getting any other input from anywhere else. So that's your your world view, as it were. So when I'm being abused and it's, you know, don't tell, it'll be all your fault, I'll be killed if you tell. And, and because no one ever came in to reverse that or change that or say that's not true, then that's a belief I took on. And so my life every day reflected that. So as I, you know, I guess I'm thinking of examples now with my children, you know, when they started to go to kinder and things like that, if people look sideways at my children, it'd be, oh, it was all my fault. And oh my goodness, no one's going to like me because, you know, my kid mucked up or something. So it impacted every aspect in every area of my life, just that dialogue unconsciously running through my brain every day. Uh, set this pattern up and this um, this pathway, I guess, to destruction. It really didn't have any other way to go but into the world of, well, I could have been an alcoholic, I could have been a gambler, I could have gone into other patterns of behaviours, but anorexia was the one that popped up for me and um, was the downfall that I needed to have to look back at my life and uh, heal it and put it back together again. So, it, yeah. Um I, I totally relate to what you just said there about um, how you, it could have manifested as, you know, alcohol, gambling. I feel the same way about my bulimia. Uh, that was the manifestation that what, what I was feeling inside took, but I could have easily have been, you know, I could have used drugs. I could have drank. Um, I could have, you know, been hypersexual, whatever it may be. Um, uh, it just, it, it, that was sort of the, the, just the bulimia was the pattern that, that unfolded for me. But. And I guess I'd throw that question back to you now, if if that's correct for this podcast, is how did, <laughs> so what did you see as contributing to your downfall into bulimia and, and what took you out of it? Um, for me, I think it started with the perfectionism. Uh, I was a competitive athlete, always having to be the best. Um, and that was, I think, the, the initial uh, reason my bulimia started. Um, and uh, the thing with bulimia that might be different than anorexia, um, and this is what I'm struggling with more than anything, was its addictive nature. Um, even when I felt uh and I, I had things to work on in terms of self-love, um, getting to know myself. I think the biggest part, and, and I, I, I went through um, a sexual assault that no one really knows about, but um, I, at, at the military academy, which um, I tried to shake all these things off. You know, I'm tough. Oh, this happens to everybody. Um, but I think the a lot of these experiences... Um, where I kept putting other people's expectations first or, um, oh, it's okay, it happens to everybody. After a while, those experiences, they chip at your self-worth and your your sense of self-worth and your value, not your self-worth, but your sense of self-worth. And um, I then became very self-destructive, but I, I, and I, I think that my breakdown was really 
my my body fighting, my mind fighting to break down all of these worldly expectations and everything else to kind of come out of that, all of that shell and come alive. And whether I was going to, you know, come out of that alive or come out of that dead, I was, um, I was, I was ready to, I was ready to get out of that. You know, just, it was, I knew instinctively that, um, who I had become was not who I was. It was just sort of this mold, you know, how other people viewed me and I needed to, um, get out of that. Um, so I, I, uh, for me, it was, it was ask for uh, part of the major part of my healing process was allowing myself to just be it's, and this is just sort of the cliff notes version, but, um, instead of always constantly jumping to the world's expectations, I allowed myself to be and experience the world, um, and not judge and just kind of take some time to get to know myself and what I liked and, um, and, and be gentle with myself. And, and that, and that involves a lot of meditation, um, mindfulness. And even now my pattern of eat mindfulness kind of extends into every element of my life now. So, um, when, and when anyone asks me what kind of diet I follow, I always say mindful eating. Um, so now it's a lot more listening to myself internally and then doing what I want. But the biggest part that I struggled with, with bulimia, even though I, the emotional part was, was getting better. Uh, the cognitive part was getting better. I still felt addicted to the, the rise of the binge and then the relief I felt with the purge. And that was very much almost like a chemical dependency that no one told me about. And, uh, I kind of had to figure that out on my own and start to treat myself like an addict to food, like the foods that I binged on. And that was like a separate element to me recovering, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, it does. I guess that's a behavior that, you know, continued in your life as I guess you were chipping away at healing yourself. And, but there was still a behavior left to tell you there's still more work to do is how I would probably think about that. Um, so for me, yes, I mean, I had a lot of mechanisms put, coping mechanisms put into place and gradually had to get rid of them. Uh, do I have any today? No, no, I don't have any today. Um, yeah, now I've lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, because I just was thinking, do I have any still today? And looking back, you know, what did I do that was still in place to tell me that I still had more to do? I guess it was the OCD part of it, you know, checking and rechecking and doing those those things. Um, yeah, at the time, you just think that's a behaviour that you're doing and it's really, really annoying. But now at the other end, I can look at that and say, no, that was my body saying you've still got some work to do. You've still got some things to look at. Why are you having to recheck? Why do you still need that perfectionism, you know, aspect of your character still in play here? Why does it have to exist? So, yeah, I, would, I guess I'm wondering whether that might have been contributing still to, you know, why you were still binging and purging and, and those sort of behaviours, you know, um, I think we gradually lose these coping mechanisms as we heal the things that brought them into place in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's true. And I think, uh, you know, with bulimic cravings, it's kind of like any kind of craving, just kind of um, when you stop doing it for a long time and you're obviously healing other parts of yourself, um, that that urge gets less and less um but sometimes i felt like a drug addict because like i would just sort of 
I, everything would be fine. I'd be sitting there and then I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm craving. Um, I need to binge. And then I had to kind of sit with myself and that's where the mindfulness really came in handy. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to um, ask you about reality therapy. I'm not familiar with that. What, 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 what is, what is that? Uh, reality therapy is a therapy that was designed by Dr. William Glasser uh, in America, he's passed away now, and we have an institute here um, based in Queensland, I think it is now. And I went and studied that, obviously, once I met this lady and, and got into it and it was working for me, I went and did the counselling course for uh, the duration of time that was required, two or three years, whatever it was, because it's a while back now. But reality therapy is as it sounds. It's reality. What's really going on here? And it really has a strong basis in looking at the relationships that we are in and how they're impacting um, how we behave and what we're doing. And um, and then the choice theory, at, okay, you have choices here, you know, and what are the oh, choices lining them up? You've got this choice or that choice. And then obviously it opens up. It also, it's based on uh, looking at like any issue in your life. Okay, what is the relationship? Who is connected to your issue here? So if we look at mine, you've got, um, you were sexually abused. So who was that person? Well, yes, it was my father. It was also probably my grandfather. It was also my um, godfather. So these are three powerful men in your life that should have shown you how life was and protected you, and they didn't do that. They actually showed you the destructive side of life. And so it's not surprising as I, you know, mature and get older and want to go into uh, romantic relationships that I ended up, that pattern within me attracted in abusive men who controlled and dominated and walked all over me, and I had learnt to be the controlled person, the quiet and the little mouse who allowed all this to happen and I was too scared to challenge it because if I did they wouldn't love me anymore so it was all based on you know that childhood belief that in order to be loved you have to suck it up you have to put up with this this is how men are blah blah so for me when I went through I needed to look at that relationship and what I was still doing to allow that to exist into in my life and what I needed to do to change that and the power I had given it as well. So, as I said, that's the core of reality therapy is looking at the relationships we're in and how they're affecting your development and your growth and, and your worldview. And then when we look at issues, we look at all the aspects of it. We look at the emotional aspect. Okay, there's an issue in your life. And when you think about it, you get angry or you cry or you go into depression. So that's the emotional response. So why does that happen? And then we look at your thoughts. Okay, while this is happening, what's your thought processes? What is your dialogue in your head? What is it saying? So what do we need to do about that dialogue? We need to bring it, tease it out, look at it, open it up and see whether it's valid or whether it's a learnt one that is actually a screwed learning you have to sort of change and do in a different way. We also look at our behaviours. What behaviours are you adopting in this particular instant or why we're dealing with this particular issues and then we look at the physical responses what's your physical body doing at the moment and for me it was anorexia nervosa or by my mid-30s it was suicidal depression it was OCD it was depersonalization it was migraines so 
what are all the messages coming from the reality or the realness of your life? And how are you relating to it? Okay, let's let's pull this all apart and let's look at the reality of it here. And then the extension of that is looking at your belief system and your value system and whether it's actually true. Is it true for you or are you living someone else's belief system, someone else's value system? And it doesn't actually align with who you are. So is that sort of stuffing around with your day-to-day life as well because you're always in war with yourself? I, I have to do this. I have to get those straight A's because otherwise my dad will do this to me. But then the real Jenny Lee comes up and goes, but hang on, I don't think I have to be that person in order to be loved. So there's conflict here. And then so what I needed to do is look break down all my belief system and align it with the person I really was. And then it's also um, your values, I did the same. And then your needs and your wants. What are your needs for your life? What are your wants for your life? Like you were saying about mindfulness, you know, you go into mindfulness. What do I need? How do I respond? What do I do? So it's looking really at every aspect, the reality of your life and which parts of it are real, what aren't real, um, which align with you, which don't, which actually belong to somebody else, who in, therefore underneath all of this, who's actually controlling your life. And for me, it was my father and um, um, my mother, which I didn't believe at the time when someone came out and said, and your mum went, oh, no, no, not my mum. No, 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 no. You know, she's put up with all this crap as well. And it wasn't until seven years ago that I realised that that person who said that many, many years ago was actually right because um, my mother was controlling me in the fact that she actually knew my story and she did everything she could in her power to keep it hidden and keep it secret so um, and I thought she was my greatest ally and protector and she actually wasn't she was betraying me alongside of everyone else too so um yeah, so there was a fair bit to undo, but that was the process that I took myself through to really look at it and then look at the choices. Okay, we've got a choice here. You can continue believing this crap or you can change it to who you really are. And, of course, there was a lot of fear and fear can prevent you from making the changes because you really believe he's going to get killed or you really believe this outcome's going to happen. So I had to work away at those, chip away and realise that the fears weren't real as well. Um, they were learnt fears that actually were never going to happen. So, yeah, I hope that wow. answers your question because I've got a lot of, obviously, that's what's in my programs that I've created in my online business, JL Keys Anorexia Unlocked, and it explains the reality therapy and the choice theory and what the basis of it is and how that can support and help you to heal and to heal your life, basically. So that's what I bang on about. <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it sounds amazing. It sounds uh, very helpful, especially, um, I mean, I know on, on your website, you, you work not just with folks who are struggling with eating disorders, but all different kinds of struggles. Yes, that's, that's right. Is that, yeah. yeah. Yes, that's um, I think, as I might have indicated earlier in this podcast, talking with you or sharing with you, that even though I've set it up under eating disorders, anorexia unlocked, because that was my main experience, that seemed the right way to go. But any illness, it's my belief, my strong belief that I've gained from everything that I've learned over a number of years now that 
embedded in all illnesses that we experience, I think there is an element, a strong element of needing to look at your life and who's controlling it, you know, what's going on, where are your sadnesses, why are you depressed, what's really running your script, what's running your dialogue, what changes can we make? And that's an important part of healing from any illness or any disease because I've seen it time and again, you know, with different people. And it, to me, it's a strong element. You walk into a doctor's surgery or a clinic, you know, I've got something and no one ever says, tell me about your life. What's happening for you right now? What's happening here? What's happening here? Or what happened six months ago? You didn't have this condition six months ago and now here it is, it's manifesting in your life. Just tell me about the last 12 months of your life and let's just see what else is contributing. We might have to also, you know, cut that out or deal with it with something or whatever, but I want you to heal totally. So what message is, is this illness giving you about where you need to heal in your life? And um, do I have a strong belief in in looking at that as well so um i also think what what you said about um love uh i think is very interesting and i mean in your case you know you were you were betrayed by your your parents and abused by your parents and you know those are supposed to be the first the first people who who love us um but i think this was in my experience um how you perceive love, even um, any kind of love or in the romantic sense, friendship type of love um, is very different when you're going through your struggle, going through what, you know, your eating disorder, whatever it may be. And then when you start to do those steps to healing, um, all of a sudden love is so different, like how you experience it. And I'm still kind of figuring that out um, in, in different ways in my life uh, and, you know, in terms of um, what is actually love, how is it supposed to feel versus, you know, the conditional type of love um, it, that, yeah. you know, the love that you're sort of po- posturing for, putting up, putting on, you know, someone else, you're playing a part, so to speak. That's right. And I think, um, I don't think the world really knows how to love, but in fairness to the world, how do we know? Because where do we learn it? There is no place where we go to uh, in the education system, for example, being an ex-teacher. Where in society do we really learn how to love and care for each other? We don't. It's role modelled down through the generations. And if in my case, it was all based on, you know, straight A's and high achievements and, you know, setting that record for the 100 metres or whatever, it was all based on that. If I do this, then I'll be loved. If I don't, you know, the back is turned on me. So that was my measure of love was, and then, you know, it spilled over into every area of my life until eventually at the age of 15, I thought because I wasn't getting boyfriends and everyone was bullying me at school and I didn't have friends, then it must be something to do with what I look like. So then I began to change my appearance. So surely now I'll be loved and that didn't work either. So, um, yeah, my perception of love was based on things that were just warped. But you don't know that at the time because no one's telling you any differently. No one's setting you right. No one's sitting down with you and saying, hey, you know, you used to be an athlete and you won all these things. Now you can't do it because you're so skinny. What are you doing to yourself? No one opened up that dialogue or that conversation um, so how can we know how we love each other? 
because no one tells us, no one shows us, no one. And then in in the school system, I have taught, you know, sex education and health education, and you see it coming out in the students all the time. They just don't get it or they laugh at it or they don't care or no one takes it seriously anyway. So, and then we wonder why we end up with a society where everyone is, you know, hurting each other and hating each other and divorcing from each other and yelling and screaming at each other because we haven't learnt how to meaningfully connect and accept each other and love each other unconditionally. It's just not something that exists. So across the majority of the platform, you know, of of our globe. So how can we do it any differently? And I guess that's another one of my soapboxes is, you know, loving unconditionally and accepting who we are and all of that sort of thing. Um, But in reality, do we do that? No, we don't. Not unless, you know, we've gone through something like you've been through by the sound of it and I've been through. I think I do that now with my children. And in my book, I certainly outline that clearly with my two children. And if anyone reads my book, they'll see I come back to my children and apologize to them, you know, quite often. But um, if I certainly didn't do the – I started to make all the changes in my life when my son was – seven and my daughter was four and it probably took the next three years to really begin to let go and if I didn't do that I would have had two stuffed up kids probably on drugs or alcoholics or who knows what I certainly wouldn't know them they wouldn't want to know me because I was just repeating the pattern of control and expecting them to be perfect and do all the rest of it but gradually I let go and let go and let and handed their life over to them and handed over to them who they were and who they wanted to be in this world, you know, as they move forward. And I've got a daughter who is a performer and she lives in Sydney and she does burlesque shows. So she's, you know, getting a gear off every now and then. She does that in front of her mother. Um, there is no way she would have been able to do that or she I would have just stuffed that up. I wouldn't have been able to cope with the fact that that's what my daughter was doing. I would have hidden it, not told anybody, <laughs> all of that, the shame of it all and all the rest of it. And um, and I've got a son who's got, you know, his collection of tattoos and growing up, tattoos were just the be-all and end-all scum of the earth type stuff. And then all of a sudden he wanted to, and I couldn't understand where that was coming from at the age of 14. It was just like, what do you mean you want tattoos like no one in our family has them or we never talk about them. I still don't know where it came from, but knowing my son at the age of 35 now, he's a creative, he's a muso, he's that person, so why wouldn't he adorn himself with his self-made, which are very creative, very artistic and and positioned very well with where he does it. So that's just an extension of the um, organic person that he is, the authentic person that he is. Now, with mum type one, the person that I was when he was little, far out, it just, it wouldn't have worked. We just wouldn't know each other. Who knows where he would have ended up. But because I began to let go and say, okay, and step back and change my parenting totally and said, okay, Brad, who are you? Kimberly, tell me who you are. What are your beliefs? What are your values? Where do you want to go in life? How do you think you're going to get there? How can I help? Who will help? Dada completely gave the reins of their lives to them with great difficulty. I used to shake and I'd cry at night thinking, oh, my God, what have I done? But I've got two kids today that are 
on level playing fields. They've achieved really well in life at what they've wanted to do. And they're very free entities and free people, but they also care and love for other people. So I think somewhere along the line, you know, the changes that I made using reality therapy and choice theory as my base for doing it has worked. Hmm. And this is what I'd like to get into schools is to teach people, okay, how do we love each other? What does love actually look like? What does it actually mean to love somebody? How will you treat them? Really, you're going to yell at them. You're going to, no, 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 that doesn't look like love to me. You know, I'd really like people to learn that and do that. I think it would change the face of the planet. I think it would change mental illness. I think it would change a lot of the illnesses that exist in this world today. I'm going to get off my soapbox. <laughs> um, no, I, I love that. I think it, um, I, I, no, it's uh, it's fine. You could stay on there. Um, that that's fantastic, and I think it's a great um, it's a great idea. It's a great idea to do that in schools. It really is. Um, you know, you know, just kind of like a even like a free kind of like a space of where you can just kind of learn about who you are and and learn and what love should be like. Um, because uh, you're right. A lot of people don't know what love really is or how it feels like genuine authentic uh, and oftentimes you don't like what I was gonna say is like sometimes when you experience you know a trauma or like uh, you know those things like the awful things that you experienced in your childhood um, like we don't get to know ourselves till later in life and it's unfortunate on one hand um, because you sort of miss out on that in your, your like younger years, but at the same time, it's also really enlightening, amazing, and worth it um, when when you finally start to realize, like, oh, this is who I am, and this is perfect, and this is great, and I'm wonderful as I am, and then everything else kind of starts to fall in place. But uh, um, yeah, you don't actually really get to do that till you're older. No, and unfortunately, I think, you know, you and I are fortunate ones that somehow the enlightening, you know, for me it was Joan at the age of 36 when she, the psychologist came into my life. For you it was other experiences that you brought into your life or came into your life because you were asking, you know, you were probably asking somewhere in your being, I want out, I want change, I want to be who I am, I don't want to be bulimic, you know, and then yeah. the universe responds. Mine you know. was messy. <laughs> Mine was but uh yeah <laughs> yeah it was messy if, if if I went to reality therapy if I knew about it like it probably wouldn't have been as messy with the way you presented it but yeah it was messy yeah oh it was it's a lot of hard work still you know for anybody but what I was going to say is yes I think we're two fortunate ones and there's a lot of fortunate uses across the planet who do find their way out and through and they that is facilitated for them but there's so many that don't either and they just keep going down that spiral until you know they choose to leave the planet or they just get sicker and sicker and they they never find their way through and out of it and I think that's really really sad and I think that also happens because again people don't take it seriously you know, I know in my situation, uh, being a school teacher again with different parent-teacher interviews and, you know, you'll I'll have a child in my classroom and they'll present as being really scared or, you know, sad or whatever. And you think, oh, what's happening in this child's life that this is how they, you know, how they are in my classroom? And then you have a parent-teacher interview and you go, here it is. Yep. 
there it is you know just in the dialogue you have with the parents and you go oh my goodness no wonder this child is like this and and you think can you not see what you're doing to your child but no they can't for me I can because I've learned all this stuff but for them this is just life this is how it is and this is how I'm going to treat this kid and he's got to do this and that and I think no stop (laughs) don't you realize you're part of the problem but how would they know because no one teaches you this stuff so and then I've had experiences where I do try to gently come in, it's like comes back in your face and you go, whoa, they're not ready, they're not. Or they just, again, do not take it seriously, do not see that what they're actually doing is having an impact and there's nothing you can do to break that wall down to see it. Yeah. So it's a real area that needs teasing out somewhere and being brought back and, you know, we've got this pandemic at the moment what or you know and you've had it really really bad in New York and we haven't had it as bad here in Adelaide certainly down in Victoria Uh, I'm in South Australia in Australia but Victoria Australia has had it very very bad and I just sit back and I think well what is the globe trying to tell you people what is this really all about you know have a look at what we need to do how do we need to change our thinking and our approach and how we treat each other and um love each other it comes back to that that single word but in my situation I guess what was going through my head as you were talking before is my if you're taught as a child that love is um, abusive then that's how you see it and that's how you will live it and that's why I kept bringing in abusive men because that was my pattern that was given to me that was my belief this is this is how women get treated so put up with it until one day the light goes on and uh, you challenge it yeah and you begin to say yeah, I think in my case it was more of uh unavailable types whether it, whether it was like well I could hang out with you for a while and then I can go home to my apartment and be myself I can like do the performance with you the song and dance and yes. then uh that's it and then I go back and I become somebody else and I like I'm you know that I become who I really am and and that person was struggling um and and so that was like for the longest time I, I had to get out of that cycle of kind of like just dating and or, or hiding or performing whatever you want to call it um and really just focus on myself mm. and why do you think that pattern set up for you why were you being a and I did exactly the same I would go actually I probably became so you know within myself that I didn't even acknowledge there was a different person for a long time but I would be very quiet in the presence of other people and just comply and just do what I was told and and suck up to people. If I saw the slightest bit of rejection, I would make sure I never did that behaviour that I thought created that. So I was always on the lookout, I guess, for how I have to behave and be if I'm going to continue to be accepted in, you know, in this environment here. So, and the minute I challenged it, of course, I was booted out because, hey, hang on. <laughs> And also, yeah. once you start to change and you heal, those people will change because they're used to you being a certain person. That certainly happened within my family arena. They were used to JL being this person. And as I gained and healed and began to stand up and, and be who I really was, no one really wanted that. It was like, well, how do we be with this person? And we used to be able to control you and we can't now. We don't really know how we're going to relate to you. So I think you just, you're the one that has to go. <laughs> you know, it's that sort of response. Yeah, and that's fearful because then 
because people do kind of go, people do go away and your relationships do change. And the, a lot of the struggle is trying to keep those relationships alive, but they're not healthy for you. And they're, and they're counterfeit relationships because they're not with the real you. And then when they go away, you, you're, you're worried and you're fearful, but then you realize, oh, I'm okay. And then you realize, oh, I'm actually better. <laughs> um, you know, oh, I actually didn't need that, you know? Um, but there is still, you know, there is still, you you still have those long-term attachments and there's still feelings there. Um, so there is still a sadness there that I think is, is normal, you know? Um, you know, oh, you think of the good times or you think of, you think of certain things that you did together. Like you, you have those moments, um, and, and sometimes the, the, those types of relationships um, are addictions in themselves. But the, it's such a relief when you realize that, you know, you don't have to perform for people to have them love you or, you know, you can just be who you are. And it's just so freeing. It's freeing. But I think, it, it, yeah, certainly, it certainly is. And, um, you know, be and it can take a long time to actually get to that, depending on how deep I think the traumas were, how deep the belief system has become in you and how fearful the, op- you know, the opposite thinking is to how long it takes to actually journey from one side of, you know, the spectrum to the other. And it did take me a long time. But uh, like you're saying, it's very freeing once you arrive there. And I just wish we could start, you know, right from when kids are little. It's right. Who are yeah. you? Um yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes I look back and for me, there's been a lot of forgiveness too. you know, looking back. Sometimes I look like when I went through my a really massive breakdown in my 20s, I sometimes, you know, I, I'm like, oh, and it's shameful and it's embarrassing. And then there's sort of this feeling of lost time. Um, and and that's, you know, kind of where the self forgiveness has to come into uh, and not not kind of crying over lost time. Um but it's tough. I mean, it's not easy. It's not. A, it's definitely not a straight path. That's for sure. <laughs> no, it's not. And I guess you know, every healing journey has its time and its you know direction and everything. But you know, it's a bit cliche now, I suppose, is you heal one bit and then you know to prepare you for the next line of healing, to prepare you for the next, and you have to do them in those little segments so that that gives you the strength to do the next step and the next step and the next step. And, um, yeah, I think it just depends on how much there is in, in every individual person as to how long that, that's going to take and the readiness, you know, are you really ready to face those changes and um, bring that in and are you ready to let go of some of the people that you will need to let go of in order to achieve the outcome that you want for you. And that was something that I needed to do and I think it's eight years ago now um, I realised I had to walk away completely from my family, you know, so I hadn't seen my mother and my brother and my sisters. Um, well, I hadn't seen them for seven years. One of my sisters sadly passed away with cancer and um, I went to a funeral. It was the first time I saw any family members for seven years at that point in time. So, and that day I realised, yeah, I still have to stay gone. There is no you know, going back into that, unless there's a readiness on their behalf to sit down and listen and for my mother to own up and, and I mean, my mother really holds the key there because she can, you know, put it all on the table and say, well, actually what JL's saying is actually true. Yes, this did actually happen, but she refuses, absolutely and utterly refuses to do that for me and to set me free in the eyes of my brother and my remaining sister and my 
you know, my nieces and nephews, they all think I'm just this horrible, awful person, and I'm not. And um, so that, for me, has been another level that I've had to deal with. And um, it was after that funeral when I sat down and I realised that it was never going to happen, that I had to do the hard work and the hard sell on myself to free myself from that inner desire of wanting to be believed by my brother and my sister and nieces and nephews, that that was never, ever going to happen. So, um, yeah, and I guess that's when real freedom came for me. I did, right, let it go, let it go and just let get on with your Yeah, yeah, um, so. And probably a lot of those people too, like, will never actually know themselves um, throughout most of life. I mean, I think a lot of people, they don't actually ever break down, uh, you know, kind of what, what they've been molded into by society, by their their caregivers or whatever um and they never actually know themselves so I think that's part of the problem oh for sure and I think part of the problem of not coming to the table you know for my brother to perhaps approach me say look JL you know you've created there's been this distance now with the family for eight years I want to know why you know why I've often said to my partner why why don't they just come and ask me why don't my nieces and nephews come and ask me and um one because of what they believe you know because of what they've been already told but that very thing if I go and ask that question I might have to front myself as well you know I might have to learn a few things and find out and mm, and so that's just all a bit too scary so it's easier to stay in the molds that as you said the molds that they've been put into and that for them their molds are working you know nothing's come in that's been really bad to actually challenge that so they wouldn't see a need to um, to make those particular changes. It's not till we get really sick like you were, like I was, and a lot of other people that uh, you go, no, hang on, we do need to do change here. Yeah. And for that, I'm thankful for everything that I've learned and I know and I can share and inspire other people with and and all the rest of it. Um, yeah. Um, that, I think it's back, great. And um, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, but you were referencing, you know, wasted years. And, um, oh, yeah, that's another layer that I've had to deal with because I'm a lot older and I've lost a lot of years to, to being very, very ill and very sick and, and choosing suicide over overstaying and all of those sorts of things. And, yes, I've learned and I've grown and I've got a lot of wisdom to share and everything like that, but sometimes I just wish it had happened a bit earlier in my life so that... You know, I could have got back on track a lot quicker. I don't think I could have gone back to being an athlete, but I probably should have been a performer like my children. And, um, you know, the the voice that I've got inside of me is very, very good and it's never been used for benefit because that's what anorexia took away, you know, just being able to develop and grow that. So there are regrets there and everything, but I choose not to dwell on them. I'm only mentioning them now to reinforce what you're saying, that, you know, we have these lives and we do, we lose periods of our life that could have been filled with so much more had we known, you know, that life can be so different. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. And it's it's just part of recognising the you know, the pains of that process and that that's part of accept it. You have to come like sort of accept it. Um, but it's not, it's not bad. It's not a bad thing. It's not because you're, it's, it's part of the healing. It's not a bad thing. Um, 
I think it's, you know, people are like, oh, oh regrets, re- regrets. And I'm like, regrets really aren't, you know, they're, it's not, it's, it's not like they're not the worst thing, you know, sometimes yeah. they're just part of reflection. Um, and, and, think, and, and then acceptance, you know, that's right. And I think a lot of people, you know, I think regret is a part of the process when you're healing, when it's been a long-term journey, you know, you look back in, and that can be another spiral that you take yourself down, or hopefully by the time you get to regretting, you've also got the wisdom to, to allow yourself to regret it, but then to let it go quite quickly and replace it with, but right. look what I look what I've learned as a result otherwise that's another spiral that could waste another two or three years of your life <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I know yeah. so, <laughs> the irony yes we were talking um, about any yeah go on sorry uh no no I'm here what were you gonna say I was going to say earlier, um, probably about five minutes ago when we were talking, and I just happened to have it next to me. I was on a um, YouTube channel, uh, The Survivor Tribe, a week ago, and we were talking about this very same thing of um, love and what does love look like. And I was sort of going on then about, you know, I wish we could do it from childhood, from the time that um, children are born. And I'd actually like to read this out because it's just sitting here and I thought, well, maybe I'm meant to do this. So this was a poem that I wrote probably back in 2014 now. And um, I guess this is how I would like to sum that part of our conversation up. And it goes like this. When a child is born, marvel at the beauty, be intrigued by who they will be, nurture the needs as they present Watch for indicators as to what will be defining characteristics, attributes, interests, likes, dislikes, personality traits. Get excited that you are the privileged one witnessing this soul progress. Support the inherent aspects that together complete this child unconditionally accept. Do not demand, scold, condemn, disapprove, criticise. Instead, gently show them the way with loving approval. Help them celebrate the uniqueness they represent. Allow them to fall down and learn. Their strength will grow from here. Don't call them naughty. How do they know? Guide this child to know. And when the child is all grown up, be glad you know who they are, not who you made them be. And, um, yeah, that just seemed relevant to the conversation that we were having and it just happened to be next to me, so I thought I'd pick it up and read it. <laughs> I, I love I love that and, and you wrote that. Yes, I've written. Oh, I've got a lot That's of writings. Great. Yeah, a lot of writings. If you go on my Instagram page, they're all there and yeah, everywhere, all throughout my book and everything. So yeah, um, but that, that no, I wrote. I absolutely love that, and I. Yeah. Um, and I just Jail, wish. Thank you so much. I don't want to take up. To- Oh, oh that's go ahead. You were going to say one more time. There's a oh. little bit of a delay. Delay. <laughs> oh, that's okay. all right. I'm realizing it's Sunday night for you in New York. You probably, well, you're a lot younger than me. You probably don't want to go to bed yet. But anyway, <laughs> um, no. no, I have to um, just thank you again for having me and giving me the opportunity to have a chat about, you know, just the issues that have come up. And this has all been organic anyway. It's not like we planned certain questions that we were going to address it's just whatever was meant to be shared has been shared so and spoken about so thank you very much I really really appreciate it and um 
yeah, that's all I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, no, I I think it's great. Um, and I want to thank you for sharing your story and your journey. And uh, I know you have a book and a website. So it, as on an ending note, do do you mind just um, reminding uh, my listeners where to go if they want to read your book or um, and and if you offer Skype or or Zoom therapy or that kind of thing if they're interested in it. Um, well, my business is, um, it's called JL Keys, K-E-E-Z, um, Anorexia Unlocked, and I have my website, www.jlkeys.com.au, and uh, by going to that website and starting with the homepage and I guess reading through, um, you'll learn more about me and my story and what I do offer. Um, primarily, they're online programs because I thought in this day and age with everything going global, everything going online. It was just something I thought, you know what, I'm going to put all of my wisdoms, all of my learning into relevant programs that people can access and use and probably at an affordable level. There's so many people that end up with eating disorders or illnesses and just don't know what to do or where to start. And so hopefully these will be a good starting point. And also some people can't afford it. So hopefully I've made them affordable that people can, in the privacy of their own home, access the programs, learn about what's happening for them, learn about how they can heal from it, what they need to bring in to actually create that healing. Um, So there's seven different programs that I've created there for that purpose. I've also got a private Facebook page that I've set up where I can dialogue with clients, they can dialogue with me as well. I also provide my private um, email or my business email, hello at jlkeys.com.au, if they want to, um, you know, access me privately to have discussions. So that's that side of it with the website. I'm also on at jlkeys anorexia unlocked on Instagram, but. And the last thing, yeah, is my book. It's called Anorexia Unlocked, Understanding Your Story Through Mine. It's currently being formatted by a lady in Canada, I think she's based, and it should be out for release through Amazon in November. So that's a three-part book. The first part is just little excerpts of my story, and then the middle part is all the wisdoms, all the learnings, all the that I would like to share with people and then the last part is just a very quick three or four day three or four pages of right this was my story this is what happened this is how I took it on board this is what my life turned out like this and this is what I did to turn it around just sort of in a nutshell just to indicate to people that you know healing is possible but you need to understand it and gain knowledge first up so hopefully that's what I'm putting out there for people to um to learn and gain from. Yeah, and thank you for the opportunity to advertise myself. Absolutely. No, that's great. And I um, keep me posted. Uh, and of course, I'll, I'll post all these links um, in my blog and on the podcast description. But uh, yeah, let me know when your book comes out. And I look forward to reading it for sure. Yeah, thank you. And I'd like to, and I don't know whether you want to record this or not, but 
I am now also thinking of adding to my website with a media page or media resources or whatever so that when I do podcasts for people or go onto YouTube channels or whatever, I can post them. So I'd really like the link for this so that I can add it to my website so that people know that you exist and what you're doing. So, you know, they click on there and they can listen to me engaging with you, but just as importantly, um, knowing that you exist and, and what you have to offer the healing world as well. And that might be another avenue for you to be able to um, help to put your message out there as well. So, but we can email each other about that one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, that sounds good to me. And I, I will be sure to do that. Um, and yeah, right now, um, let's see, I'm I'm going to go eat dinner. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> And um, I'll probably go and have some lunch or something, you know, because yeah. it's time in Adelaide. <laughs> Thanks so much, Erin. Enjoy your evening. and we'll Thank keep- you. And, uh, yeah, stay safe and, you know, through all this pandemic stuff. And um, I'll be in touch yeah. with this link. Uh, but thanks okay. again. Th- thanks so much. Thanks. It was great. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. I'm going to put all of JL's contact information in the podcast description as well as my wellness blog um so you can get in touch with her if you'd like um also i will include her instagram um i'll include my instagram and if you're interested in reading my story about a character based on me who has bulimia um grab a copy of manic kingdom off of amazon Uh, but i have to warn you that it's an uncomfortable read for many um, because my recovery journey was really messy, but I got there. Um, Not a book about recovery, but it's a book about being trapped in what I call the manic kingdom. Okay, guys, um, thanks as always for listening. And if you want to reach me, Erin at bloomingwellness.com, or you can find me again on Instagram or Facebook. And hope you guys have a good rest of your day or night. Thanks.